We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what's going on? Welcome into another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. However you're tuned in, we are here as always live on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Oregon Football Max Taurus is where you can find us. And of course, the Ducks Dish podcast on your podcasting platform of choice. We are here to give you our upon further review episode of Oregon's 45 to 30 win over the UCLA Bruins in week eight in Eugene at Odson Stadium. And joining me to break it down is my guy, Spencer McLaughlin. He's the host of Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12. We're back at it again. Psyched to have you back. And uh, how we doing, man? How you feeling? Good vibes only, baby. Good vibes only after that particular game. The way I put it on my show on uh, on. I don't even know what day of the week it is today. Yeah, today's Monday. I was just recording Tuesday's show, but uh, the way I put it was the uh, opposite of how Jeff Bridges' character Obadiah Stane felt in the first Iron Man after Tony Stark announces they're not going to make weapons anymore, where he rhetorically goes, well, that um, that went well. That actually did go pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it, it did go really well. Uh, I, I mean, we've seen a couple different ways that the game has been you know, spun off or, you know, talked about, you know, a good overall team effort, uh, pretty complete game. Um, the, the defense didn't have a ton of amazing plays, but they, they had, they went against a really, really good offense. And I thought they did a great job, you know, kind of containing Dorian Thompson Robinson and, um, you know, they, Bobo and Charbonnet really did their thing, but there's a lot of different angles we can attack this, uh, this game from, uh, I'll be honest, this is probably the first of two shows today. Uh, the Ducks have got two commitments on the recruiting trail, so it has been a hectic you know, last hour, hour and a half. I was at a coffee shop, and then I came back here to uh, hop on and record with Spencer. So wh- where do you kind of want to dive in uh, as far as just kind of breaking this one down or what stood out the most to you? I, I just think the offense continues to be so smart, so adaptive. They're making tweaks. They're well coached. They're you know, getting better with their discipline, right? The red zone woes feel like a thing of the past. And that's what good coaching is, right? In in the NFL, you'll hear sports talk hosts often talk about how, you know, Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll, Andy Reid, all all these guys are always really, really good to start the year when they have extra time to prepare. And then their teams play their best brand of football as the season goes on. And that's what 
the mark of a good coach and, and a good staff is. You're looking at the film. You're watching what your players are doing. You're not only recognizing the improvements that need to be made, but you're implementing them, and the players are executing them on the field. That's what coaching is, right? It's just a constant drive, constant desire to get better. And I think we're seeing that from this staff, and the production continues to be excellent offensively. And I, I love so many things about what this offense is bringing to the table right now, Max. Maybe too many because Dillingham's name is going to get tossed around for head coaching jobs in, in the future. He's still very young, though. I think that's the advantage Oregon might have to be able to to keep him here. But let's keep it in, in the here and now. That's, a, that's an offseason sort of conversation because in season, he's doing just a remarkable job adding the, the little things, you know, not just running a fake screen, but zipping Ferguson out in in motion there to really sell the defense on him being the block the blocker and then throwing it to him for the touchdown and just so many different little things that I see that they're doing well and of course the offensive line is I mean they're they're ridiculous they they are ridiculously good and they're a talented bunch so I'm not going to give Adrian Clem all the credit but I'm going to give him a good chunk of it because they're running all new schemes. This is a different offense, and they have you know, some similar blocking schemes, but last year was a pretty just straight blocking zone blocking scheme that we saw a couple times in this game, but there's a lot of pinning and pulling and coming into the hole, and you know, they pass protect really well. They're just doing a bunch of things right offensively. You can find flaws in Oregon's defense, but if I asked you right now, Max, and in fact I, I, I will, what what does Oregon's offense not do well? What can they not do? How do you stop them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the only negative that I can really think about is um, the penalties that kind of keep showing up every now and then. I would expect that to be, a, but that's like, even that's like kind of splitting hairs. It feels like with, with how offense. And that, by the way, continues to get better. They only had 46 penalty yards on Saturday. Right. And, and it was 120 something against Stanford and that stalled red zone drives. It made it more difficult up in Pullman, but it's gone away and they just continue to correct what few weaknesses they've had. And they just continue to be smart, multiple explosive. You know, I, I remember uh, Oregon fans and Jeff Schwartz was among them. Who's great. Who's a great follow on Twitter, by the way, if you, if you're a duck fan, you're not following. Um, if you're not following, Jeff Schwartz on Twitter. He's fantastic in more ways than one. But I remember in, in 2000, and I think it was 18, when Arroyo was was still the offensive coordinator, one thing he was noting was, you know, all these play calls all the time are, are just predictable. And, and it felt predictable. And nothing, I mean nothing, at no point in time does this offense feel predictable. You might know they're going to run the football on third down and two, but they're going to do it four different ways. And you don't know which one that's going to be. You don't know if Bo Nix is going to pull it out on the read option. You don't know if they're going to go a, a straight zone. You don't know if they're going to pull two or one guy. They showed another wrinkle, right? That kind of same side power dive where, where Bo Nix turns to his right, hands it to the running back, and the strong side guard pulls out. We hadn't seen that this year. You, it was something that, I, I frankly, I think Dillingham borrowed from Chip Kelly and UCLA. They've been doing a lot the last couple of seasons. But we hadn't seen that all year. So the fact that he's always adapting, he's always tweaking, he, he's always 
looking at how he can a little get better reminds me a little bit of of, of my golf game. It's like, yeah, something maybe maybe good and this is going fine, but it can still get better. And he, they just have that drive and we're seeing on a week to week basis. And I absolutely love it. Yeah. A lot of really good stuff there, Spencer. Let's see what we can kind of dive into. Uh, the offensive improvements from week to week are, are awesome. I love the creativity, um, the ball getting spread around. I think one note um, that I, I want to kind of hit on here is is talking about Troy Franklin's performance. I mean, it's probably the most obvious storyline aside from uh, Bo Nix's five touchdown passes. Um, he won Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, by the way. Uh, Alex Forsyth was named Pac-12 Offensive Lima of the Week. Uh, those are a couple updates that we got here uh, Monday morning, Monday afternoon. But in a similar way to where Oregon kind of has – become this team that can run the ball when they break out that 14 J formation. Like, cause whenever they break that out, it's like, we're running the ball and we don't care what you have to say about it. Like show us that you can stop it. It felt at times in this game against UCLA with Troy Franklin that they were feeding him the ball and they're like, okay, this is our top option. You and I both know that he's in the groove. Like now it's on you guys to stop it. And like that play when he his I think it was his second touchdown when he came over in motion by the goal line and then Bo yeah. got it to him, like just, perfect timing like I was not expecting that ball to go to him necessarily but the the dude just could not be stopped whether it was down the field over the middle on the sideline absolutely mossing Jalen Davies a former duck by the way that was probably one of my favorite plays because you could just really see his personality come out after the game just all the energy after that play all the energy he had um Troy Franklin's swaggy he's the number one wide out on this team without a doubt um I'm seeing people on social media saying Troy Franklin's the best wide receiver that Oregon's ever had or since who the discussion is there. And it's just, it's so fun to have an offense that is just explosive, creative, fun to watch. You know, we, we've said it a lot, but um, tremendous tip of the cap to Bo Nix and and Troy Franklin. And um, you know, can't, can't say enough about coach Kenny Dillingham uh, who has just been nothing short of remarkable this year. Franklin along with the offense begs the question, what what can he not do? I mean, we saw him catch some screen passes last year and be capable in the catch and run, and he operated primarily in that kind of 5 to 15-yard area. But this year we're seeing him expand his game. And those deep shots down the field from Bo Nix, he's now hit two inside of Autzen Stadium, one for a touchdown and one against BYU that got us down in, in, inside the five. And, you, you know, you can't overlook the fact that those plays only have time to develop and happen when the offensive line is giving Bo Nix time. But another component here, and we saw this on that funky looking play, one of the two sideline balls that Franklin caught, the first one I think it was, when the offensive line didn't block because they thought they were offside or the snap hadn't happened or or, or something like that. It was one of those one of those plays where Bo Nix just made a play. And, and you have to credit the offensive line a lot. But then there are instances like the third and 12 that Bo picked up where TJ Bass is left on an island with uh, with, with Laitu Latu, and that's a tough matchup for anybody. And, and TJ Bass uncharacteristically gets beat. But then Bo Nix, he just sees it, steps right away from him, goes out, eyes down, field, boom, whips it to the sideline. Bucky Irving sitting right there, picks up a first down. So the, the chemistry between Nix and the offensive line can't be understated. And I, I think for Bo, whether he would admit it or not, 
has to be feeling like it's a major breath of fresh air and just a welcome change, the sort of change you seek out when you go from Auburn to Oregon in the offseason to where the offensive line at Auburn, and yeah, they're going against the ACC, so it's a high level of competition, but we've also seen this offensive line play exceptionally well against the best defense in the SEC in the Georgia Bulldogs. Bonix wasn't sacked in that game either, so it's not just a Pac-12 thing. This unit has been so good keeping him upright. I think it's kind of an unfamiliar place for him, but in a good way where he's saying, finally, I can sit here, read the defense, dissect what's going on, understand the play. I'm comfortable with my play caller, and I know what he wants me to do, what he wants me to look for in these situations, and I can spread the ball around. And it was another week, Max, of Bo Nix having a clear number one target. And in the box score, you see that. But does it ever feel at any point in time like Bo Nix is forcing it to Troy Franklin? No. The last time we saw this sort of dynamic, I think, was Herbert and Dylan Mitchell. But there were times, because the receiving core was poor at that time, outside of Dylan Mitchell, that Herbert was looking the way of number 13, and he wasn't looking anywhere else. And everyone knew that. And I think they started to adjust to it, and that's why Oregon against Utah and Washington State and Arizona struggled to get off the field, or stay on the field, rather, on third down, because they knew, well, yeah, he's going to go to number 19, or number 13, so let's just double-team him. And then you take away his only option and nobody else was able to separate. But that's not what this offense is. Troy Franklin happens to be the best receiver in a group of really talented guys. I don't think Chase Cota's ever dropped a ball in his entire career. He doesn't look like he's going to start now. You're using legitimately four tight ends who can catch the ball, who can block insanely well. There are just so many pieces to what this offense presents if you go and double Troy Franklin, okay, you do that at your own risk. You leave Ferguson in a one-on-one. You leave Chase Cota one-on-one. You've got Chris Hudson out there. Like There are just so many places for him to go, and he's playing the way the offense is designed to be played, and he knows where to go with the football, and that's why Oregon's offense has scored over 40 points in six straight games. Yeah, and and the the offensive line, to just go back to them for a minute, I, they're obviously a huge part of the reason of why Bo is – having such a great year. Um, And to your point, it's not something he was used to when he was at Auburn. He was running for his life a lot of the time. And then I think that kind of jaded, you know, just how talented of a playmaker he is because they were putting him out there saying, Hey Bo, like, you know, we really, aside from Tank Bigsby, who is just a beast. Yeah, he's good. And Seth Seth Williams was good. Seth Williams was good too. But like, I'm kind of just trying to get at like, you know, this is the best offensive line he's had to work with really good skill talent. I liked what you said a lot about there's other pieces to this offense. Like if Troy Franklin gets doubled or locked down, uh, you know, for a series or something, you have Chris Hudson, you have Chase Coda and and the tight ends are more involved too. So I think it's just such a polar opposite, such a 180 from what we saw last year um, under Mario Cristobal and Joe Moorhead teams could say, Hey, we're going to take away the run and make you beat us through the air. I don't think anybody's saying that this year for Oregon, or if they do, if a team does sell out against the run, UCLA had the number two, uh, the number two run defense in the PAC 12 and Oregon went ahead and ran for 262 on him. So, you know, pick your poison is really what it's coming down to with, with this Oregon offense. Um, Let's see some, some other numbers that I can bring in here, not allowing a sack for the sixth time in seven games, which leads the nation. Uh, with one sack that doesn't allowed. Make, that, 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 just, that doesn't make sense. That that doesn't seem like a real stat. And, and Bo Nix is out there 
going 20 for 25 in games. I think at one point in this one, he was 20 for 23. Like the efficiency. He had 15 straight completions at one point. I'm I'm looking at that right now. It's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. You can't do that without being given time and being given clean pockets, but one sack in seven games, Bo deserves some credit, but the offensive line, the tight ends are usually out in, in the pattern. The running backs have done a great job in pass protection this year. And you can't overlook that because oftentimes defensive coordinators are trying to set up a blitzing linebacker to where he's one-on-one with a running back. Cause if you, let's say Oregon plays USC and Travis dies in pass protection. If Noah Sewell or Justin Flo are running downhill full speed and they're one-on-one with Travis Dye, who I like a lot and always will. He gave us four wonderful years. I know some people feel bitter about it, but it's just the way these things kind of work. If you set that up to where Sewell is running full speed at Travis Dye, he's not going to stop him. He's going to maybe slow him down, but he's not going to stop him. And these running backs have done an excellent job knowing where they need to chip, understanding the protection, where the pressure's coming from, diagnosing it and making plays. And they're involved in the passing game too. It, it just goes back to what I said earlier. It's such a balanced, multiple offensive attack. It really is hard to stop because if you're running the ball at five to seven yards a carry, depending on the game, and then you look at the way Bo Nix is throwing it and the array of weapons he's got, it's a stupidly good offense. Stupid good is is a very good way to uh very good way to describe this and kind of how well Oregon's playing offensively. I think bringing in Kenny Dillingham, you saw the obvious potential for this to be a, a you know a successful reunion, successful marriage, if you want to call it that, between uh you know Bo Nix and, and Kenny Dillingham reuniting and the rest of these Oregon offensive weapons. But it's just it's just going so well. Uh, forty plus points, like you were saying, for the sixth straight game. The last time they did that, oh, 2014, when they went to the national championship. So and who's I think the quarterback that year, Max? Then they Marcus. have someone who's really good at quarter. Oh yeah, that guy. That's this like that's sort of offense that we're talking about. And Helfrich is a great offensive mind. And there were a lot of weapons on that team too. You had Royce Freeman. You had Thomas Tyner. The receivers were a little hit and miss, but Darren Carrington was good. Byron Marshall was good. Charles Nelson. Yeah, Farrell, yeah, Farrell Brown was a tight end until he got hurt. Dwayne Stanford was nothing special, but a solid player. I think this core receivers is is better than that one. And certainly that has the, the other team had had the best player. But I mean, when you can produce at the level that Mariota and company did without Marcus Mariota, that's when you know you're doing something really, really right. Yeah, and and I think we're gonna talk about the defense on the other side of the break here, Spencer, but I think that it's it's probably fair to say that this offense is a, a pivotal reason why Oregon is now legitimately in the playoff mix, it feels like. But they still have some very big games that they need to win. Uh, I'm looking at Washington. I'm looking at Utah uh, mainly. And then Corvallis going down to see Oregon State isn't going to be a cakewalk. Uh, just booked my tickets to go to the to fly back to Eugene for the Washington game. So it's super amped for that. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish podcast for those of you listening to us on audio. Don't go anywhere. We got more Oregon football talk for you after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. That's my guy, Spencer McLaughlin. We are rocking and rolling on a Monday afternoon. And we are breaking down Oregon's win a little bit further. This is our upon further review uh, recap of uh, recap and analysis of Oregon's latest win. We just talked about the offense. Kenny Dillingham has the Ducks flying high. Bo Nix has the Ducks flying high. Troy Franklin, you name it. Bucky Irving, there's just... Too, much, too, too many stars, it feels like, on that Oregon offense. But now we're going to go to the other side of the ball. Uh, I'll admittedly say I'm not as good or as excited talking about the defense on a week-to-week basis, but that doesn't mean I'm going to shy away from it. We still got to talk about the defense, um, which, although they gave up 30 points, some of that came in garbage time. They went against one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and uh, they also went against a really talented running back and, and Zach Charbonnet. Uh, and Jake Bobo had 100 receiving yards and a touchdown. But overall, I think a, a relatively solid day for, for the Oregon defense. Just when I think you have to keep the defense's performance in perspective. If the offense is having a bad day, then you're really going to need the defense to step up. But fortunately for the Ducks, the offense has pretty much been outperforming the defense throughout the season. It hasn't really needed to lean on them too, too much, except for maybe games like Washington State, where that one came down to the wire. Uh, but I think given all the weapons that UCLA had, how efficient they were um, and the challenges that they presented, I, I thought it was a, a solid but not great day for the Oregon defense. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I think that you have to remember who the opponent is that you're going up against. Now, I, I'm not going to make excuses or give leeway for the Ducks defense in the next couple of weeks. They're about to play a couple of bad offenses and there is no, I mean, no excuse as long as the starters are out on the field and we'll see if we'll, we'll see how long they, they end up playing. Cause both these games could, could result in the sorts of blowouts where, you know, we see Ty Thompson, we see backups get it and they should, frankly, there's no other, no, no ifs, ands or buts about it with Cal and Colorado coming. That's or on the road. I should say going to uh, Berkeley and, and Boulder. That's what we should see. But in this game against UCLA, I really don't think this Oregon defense, this unit, this coaching staff this year could have played that much better. 13 points and a half. You held them to field goals. You held them to a field goal coming out of the half as well on their on their first drive there when it was, you know, they had the 
the opening field goal, then they score, and then you hold them to field goals the next couple of times. UCLA didn't punt in this game. Is that good for Oregon's defense? No. But what do we know about the defense? That it's not great right now, but it doesn't need to be. And I think you make a fantastic point. You could not depend on this Oregon defense or at least feel confident about doing so for them to carry you to a victory in a big spot. That's what the offense has been doing. But if the offense is capable of playing like this week in and week out, even against good teams, and I think they absolutely are with the veteran quarterback, veteran offensive line, explosive playmakers, and a great OC, you can keep up this rate most of the time. But if you get in a low-scoring affair, then what you're going to see is a defense that has to step up in a way they haven't yet this year. They, at least they haven't yet had to. And I wonder if that's a, that's a part of it, that the offense is playing so well, the defense hasn't had that next level of urgency. I'm not saying they're playing hard. They clearly are. But your focus, your intensity and urgency ticks up a level when your team has to have a stop rather than would like to have a stop. And when your offense is playing that well on the other side, I just wonder how that dynamic can, can kind of work for, for the Ducks defense so far, but they did a lot of good things in this game. That's a really good UCLA offense. They have a great quarterback. They have a great play caller. They have an NFL running back. They've got a good receiver, good tight end, good supporting receivers, a good offensive line. It's very similar to Oregon's. And you look at this game and you say, both offenses really, for the most part, played well, except for one area. The Ducks offense went down and got touchdowns, and the Bruins defense or the Bruins offense had to settle for field goals. And that's a credit to the Oregon defense. And what they need to show on a week-to-week basis for Oregon to really do something special this year, they've got to continue to improve. But they did this week. They avoided penalties. They were better on third down. They held UCLA under their season average. Bruins were 50% on third down. They're a 59% team on third down this year. And that's probably just one play, but that one play can be the difference between holding them to a field goal or them going down and scoring. That could be a four-point swing depending on the situation. So I liked a lot of things that I saw. I continue to like what Dante Manning is showing, but you know who deserves our credit, Max, is Triquez Bridges. And Oregon fans have talked plenty about him, rightfully so. He was getting picked on early in the year. That was his best game of the season, and it's not particularly close. He wasn't getting burned regularly in coverage. He was doing great defending the screen passes. He came up and blew up a play on third down. I think the Bruins ended up converting on on fourth the next play, but that was his best game of the year. And I'm getting more and more confident in him and Dante Manning, Jalil Florence plays in there as well when you need extra defensive backs. I like what I'm seeing. I thought Manning had another really, really strong game on that throw to the end zone on third and long that was nearly an interception. Brian Addison almost picked it off, but Dante Manning was one-on-one. He had some help to the inside, of course, but he's in perfect position against Jake Bobo. That's the Bruins' best receiving target, and he's in perfect and he's in the perfect spot. He comes on a corner blitz, and man, he looked five-star fast. Coming off the edge, hits DTR, forces him to get the ball out early, and is able to hold the Bruins to a field goal attempt. I I think there are a lot of encouraging signs on that side of the ball, and and still some room to grow. But some of that, I think, is just the personnel they've got up front right now. Yeah, and and I think the the, um, forcing field goals can't be understated. Um, When you're going against an offense that's that explosive – uh, that's where you can help yourself out. You know, when 
we've talked about third down defense and I remember like I was kind of yelling it a little bit when I was watching the game. I'm like, all right, get off the field. Like, let's see what happens here. Um, that's where you can help yourself out as a defense is getting off the field and then limiting, uh, limiting drives to, to field goals and not touchdowns. And that's what made it hard for UCLA to mount a comeback. And that's what, not just that, but that is in part why Oregon was able to have that 15 play seven and a half minute drive. Cause they had built the lead of their own and they had minimized the impact that the UCLA offense was able to have when they were on the field. And then that drive effectively took them out for almost an entire quarter, you know, at least half, half a quarter plus. Um, so that was really big. And then I liked what you said about that continued improvement from Manning and, and Bridges. You really need that, especially because the secondary looks like, you know, one of the, one of the, um, you know, more, I don't want to say questionable, weaker. I, I'm trying to find a, a critical word that isn't like over the top, uh, you know, just bashing them. But I think we're seeing eye to eye on that. Um, I thought the Gerard's point here was was interesting. He says that the irony is that we all thought our D and our linebackers were given strength going into this season. Instead, the offense has outperformed our defense and our linebackers are surprisingly questionable. I don't know if that goes for all the linebackers, but I know on um, on that uh, swing pass, I think it was that DTR had in the flats, they were just absolutely shredding Oregon in the flats for a, a decent part of this game. Justin Flo was uh, you know, in position to make that play, but uh, just got you know gassed he just wasn't fast enough to get to the edge there to, to stop that play um so Oregon's Oregon's defense I think has been a little bit underwhelming but I think it's really good that we're seeing a little bit of steady improvement from you know a guy this week and a guy next week uh and and for me on my end I thought the the guy that continues to up his stock or up his stock this past week was Brian Addison almost had two interceptions yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously did have an interception that came uh, after, I believe it was Noah Sewell who had the pressure on DTR. Um, so kind of interesting uh, just to see so much rotation still in the secondary. I think you'd want some more continuity there from a personnel standpoint. But if you have guys that you can rotate in in different circumstances, different packages, and and you're confident that they can show up, I, I think that that's a good thing. And it looks like Brian Addison is, is kind of, you know, aff- affirming himself and, you know, just playing better each week. Yeah, I, I've been impressed with Addison. I wasn't wild about him coming into the year, but he, he's been flying around more and more. He looks like he's getting more comfortable because you don't change athletically from week one to you know week eight where we are right now heading into week nine. What you can change is your comfort level and knowledge and instincts. And that's what I see from him now is he is a much more instinctual flying around football player. And that's you know something that you can kind of expect for a guy who's played a lot of wide receiver and has been back and forth, and now he seems to have found a home on that side of the ball. I think he should definitely stay there because I, I don't think he could see the field if he went back to playing wide receiver with the talent that Oregon's got there. But he made a number of plays. He had the interception, almost had another, and just the, the hits that he makes, right? I remember even the Washington State game when he popped the guy over the middle who held on to the ball by some miracle of God, I can only imagine. He's making those sorts of plays regularly, and I think that that's what you want to see from the back end that lost a guy like Verone McKinley. I think they can you know, you know, know, still improve. They have some communication lapses at times. There are a few times a game where you see three or four guys standing within like five yards of each other on defense, and then another guy is open. Those are the sorts of things that are causing them to have shortcomings on third down on that side of the ball. But I want to talk about, about Gerard's comment here. The linebackers were the question, were the unit I had the least questions about coming into 
th- this year. I, I agree. I, I don't agree that the linebackers are surprisingly questionable, and here's why. Flo has had a couple of moments, and I've talked about this on my show. He's an inexperienced, undisciplined football player at this point in time. And the best example of that, well, there were two examples in this UCLA game. Number one, a long run by Charbonnet. He doesn't play his gap. He overslides and he creates a hole at the second level and Charbonnet exploits it with a great cut because he's an NFL caliber back. The other play, though, was when he was in perfect position and Zach Charbonnet catches the ball on the flat and Justin Flo goes to hit him high. And Charbonnet just slides right underneath it, picks up a first down. That would have been a third and four. Instead of a loss of two yards, you have a first down moving the chains. And it's those little sorts of things that Flo still needs to get better at. He can make good plays. He's still a good linebacker in there. But I look at a play like that and think, and also think to the, the discipline assignments that, uh, that, that he's missed this year. When he was in high school, which to this point is where he's played most of his football because he just hasn't played very much college football, he can probably be a little lapse, a little uh, lackadaisical with his fundamentals. He can probably miss an assignment here, there, and just make up for it. But at the Power 5 college level, you cannot. And those are the things he needs to continue to improve upon and, and work towards. And then Noah Sewell, that was his best game of the year. I don't think he had a bevy of stats, but I tell you what, the guy who DTR is walking away from that game saying, man, I wish they could have you know, not had him for this game for some reason was Noah Sewell because he blitzed a lot effectively. He didn't always get to Dorian Thompson Robinson, but he'd create pressure. He'd force him off his spot, force him to rush a little bit. It's those little sorts of things that make an impact. He spied DTR a number of times and did so perfectly. That fourth down that led to the interception. That's just flawless from Noah Sewell. Absolutely flawless. Blitzes off the edge, but then he backs off because he's going to spy. Once he sees DTR trying to break contain, boom, he goes. He's up the field. He forces a desperation heave that ends up being intercepted. Noah Sewell is really, really good in this game. And I love how they used him. I hope they keep using him that way. They've just got to clean some stuff up with flow because I think that's where the defense has some lapses from time to time and where he does on an individual level. But that's what defense is. It's communication. It's playing your assignments. It's being disciplined in what you need to do given the defensive play call. And I hope Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy can continue to iron out those sorts of things. But the fact that UCLA is always going to move the football, they can move the football on anybody, literally anybody, they can move the ball. They are that good of an offense. I, I think this is more about what Oregon did rather than what UCLA didn't do over the course of the game. And that Bruins team was going to move the ball no matter what. But being able to hold them to field goals that many times and another red zone trip that ended up with with zero points, I, I, I don't know how much better this Oregon defense could have played. Great stuff there, Spencer. Just kind of wanted to give one of my last points here as we kind of start to wind down, wrap up the episode. So what's next for Oregon? You, you hit the road to Berkeley to, to face Cal. I, I do plan to be in attendance at that game. So head, heading back to the Bay this week. Very excited for that. But you have Cal and then Colorado, and then you have back-to-back really tough home games against Washington and Utah before you wrap up the regular season slate against Oregon State. Cal and Colorado, not good teams. We all know that. So what do you do? I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be looking for from this Oregon team the next two weeks, just domination, both sides of the ball. And I think particularly I'm looking for that for that on the defense 
yeah. because that these are these are games where you can take advantage of facing a weaker opponent and try to you know tighten things up or maybe try some new things. Uh, maybe you don't want to be doing that this late in the season per se, but I think that these are opportunities where you're not playing a strong team. So you can try to get these guys to take that next step in their development. So come Washington, come Utah, we're not talking about some of this, the issues that we're having uh, you know, to discuss uh, today. And then this episode, um, like for, so for Cal, they, they, their best offensive player that I'm aware of is Jaden Ott. Like I'm really excited to see how he plays. Uh, he had that breakout performance a couple weeks ago, but Cal and Colorado, not good teams. You, you got to dominate as a defense. I'm not really that worried about the offense, um, but th- that's kind of my biggest checklist item for this Oregon team over these next two weeks before they return back to Odson to face UW in a rivalry game. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on on the dominance part. There's no reason, absolutely none, no excuses. I don't care if you're on the road. Berkeley's not that tough of a place to play. They had a good showing the other night against uh, Washington, though. Uh, Marshawn Lynch wasn't that happy with it, but that's that's a whole a whole other matter. And Marshawn is just an absolute legend. But I uh, I, I think we're going into this Cal game and Colorado. It's the same thing. I want to see that defense build the confidence they'll need to play well against Utah to slow down the Utes. That's what I want to see. Neither of these teams, frankly, even with the subs going in, Max, neither of these teams should get to 20 points. If either of them do, barring a, a pick six from Bo Nix, which I don't you know, fault the defense for whatsoever. I always get annoyed when people leave that sort of stuff out. Oh, the, you know, the defense gave up 31 points in that game. That wasn't very good. Like, well, the, one of them was a pick six. It's not on the, you know, They're it's literally like in the field. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like in fantasy football defense, less slash slash special teams. That's a fun tongue, fun tongue twister. There's another one. Uh, it gets, they get penalized from the offense did barring that situation. They should not score 20 or more, more than 20 points. They should not get over 17. Maybe they go for two at some point, get to 18, whatever. There's no reason for it. Washington. In this stadium where Oregon will play on Saturday a week ago, allowed 21 points. Washington's defense has been leaky at best over the last couple of weeks. Colorado went into Oregon State against a defense that I think is better than the Ducks right now, which may pain some people to, to hear, but the Beavs defense is really good. They allowed nine points to the Buffs. Cal, whose defense is you know usually good, but this year not quite where they that they, they are as a unit i don't think they quite have the athletes up front um particularly at the linebacking position even though they have jackson sermon who's a good player but they're missing a couple of pieces on the back end too i think they went into boulder and in four quarters the game went to overtime they allowed 13 points if you're oregon there is no excuse to allow more than 17 points to either of these teams and I would love to see them put up a single-digit showing and really get their confidence going because these offenses are just not very good. Yeah, c- couldn't have said it better myself. I think that uh, we're setting the expectations early, but uh, they're definitely reasonable b- based off of what we've seen from uh, all these teams involved uh, so far this season. So that'll uh, that'll kind of do it for us here on this episode. I'm, I'm stoked to cover this Cal game and uh, you know see Oregon in person again. Haven't uh, gotten to be at a game since Eastern Washington. Uh, back in September last month. So that'll be fun. Uh, I'm also, I'll, I'm not going to be too specific here, but if you follow Oregon recruiting, you probably know. Um, I'm going to see if I can get out to see an Oregon commit while I am on the road. 
Um, so we will keep you updated on that front. Got a, a couple options. Um, but yeah, before we get out of here, Spencer, where can people find more of you and what you have going on in the college football space? At smalls underscore 55 is my personal Twitter handle. I also manage at LO underscore Pac-12 and at Locked On Ducks. I am the host of Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 five days a week covering the Ducks and the Conference of Champions on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I know from the comments that have come in, some people are uh, listeners and followers of my show as well. We thank all of you for for doing that. It's a privilege for us to get to be a part of this wonder, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful community that we call the Oregon Ducks. And it is uh, always great to come on with you, Max. Absolutely. Well, appreciate you coming on as always, Spencer. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorres sports. You can find me on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres. Kindly ask that you hit that like and subscribe button, as well as the notification bell, so you don't miss out on future live shows just like this one right here. You can find the latest uh, written content covering Oregon, uh, both on the field and on the recruiting trail, over on DucksDigest.com. I'm running the show over there. And um, don't go too far because I'm going to be back here on YouTube very, very soon. Uh, I'm going to edit this episode, maybe have a bite to eat, get it uploaded, and then plan to be right back to talk about the two newest commitments for Oregon on the recruiting trail coming out of a big weekend win over UCLA. But uh, all that said, that'll do it for us on this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.